0: Hello, my name is Chris Jones, I'm a poet and I teach creative writing at Sheffield Hallam University. Welcome to the Two Way Poetry Podcast, a bi-monthly series of programmes where I speak to poets about their own creative inspirations and practice. In each episode I invite a writer to talk about a poem that has influenced his, her, her their own writing. We discuss the work and in return my guest reads a poem they have written as a response, however overtly or indirectly connected to this original piece. In this show I talk to poet Rob Hindle about William Blake's poem The Sick Rose and how it influenced played a part in the writing of his own piece, The Sick Rose, from his collection, Sapo. I should say, details of Rob's books, publications, are included at the end of the podcast. This was the first interview I recorded for the series on a cold spring day in early March. As I post this introduction, it is October and, as Lewis niece put it in the first chapter of his long poem, Autumn Journal, summer is going south. Enjoy. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Rob. Thanks, Thanks. very much. Let's talk about the Sick Rose, the two versions of Sick Rose. So your own version and the, the original. So when did you first come across William Blake's The Sick Rose. Can you remember? Uh, yeah,
1: I'll, uh, yeah. there's a bit of a story here. So we're talking the mid-80s, and I was just starting to develop an interest in, in literature, really, and in, in poetry. And um, I got an interview to do a degree at Sheffield University. And I, as a mature student... And I turned up and we, I, I, I blagged it, really. I talked about my interest in William Blake, having very little understanding about Blake. The guy asked me about Blake's London, which I'd not read. And so I started talking about London, the city. <laughs> and um, I still sort of blush to remember it. But I, actually, and, and, you know, he, he sent me my marching orders and that's fair enough. But actually looking back and thinking about Blake now, I think in a way I wasn't wrong because although many people, I think, think of Blake as someone who has a certain philosophical approach, um, you know, this sort of dissenting philosophy around a a kind of (coughs) mythic structure and so on and so forth. He lived in a city and observed the problems in the city, and was very angry about that. And I think I built my understanding and my 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 poetry really about about the real world. And yeah. so I'd come. I've come to develop an understanding of of Blake and particularly the songs in terms of you know what it, what he observed around him and what he wanted to do about it. And the experience really was about, uh, for him, and for me is, you know, about the, I suppose, the political in poetry.
0: I think the first time I saw The Sit Rose was in a lecture. Mm -hmm. I did an English degree and I remember doing the Romantics and I think the thing that struck me about it was that it was was a visual. There was a painting to go alongside the poem, Mm, which I didn't expect. You know, I thought William Blake was a... Was a page poet, but actually mm-hmm. he's also a visual artist mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Did you did did you see the road, the sick rose, in those terms as well? Did you see a picture alongside the poem, or was it something that was it text first of all? That kind of
1: it was imagery? text first of all, and I went also to uh, the Department for Extramural Studies, as it was called then at Sheffield University, uh, in the Arts Tower, uh, ran um, a course, a public course on. Romantic poetry. And that's where I first encountered the images. And and I found them very... I found them quite startling, in a way, in that they were engravings. They, at first sight, felt quite crude. You know, these these sort of uh, primary colours and kind of symbolic approach that he took. And I think for The Sick Rose, it works at the level of symbol, and it works at the level of the unconscious. And I think taking the two things together, the image and the words, helps sort of build that sensibility, really.
0: Yeah. And we'll probably come back to the idea of the political later. um, Mm. But could you read The Sick Rose for us now? Sure, yeah. The Sick Rose.
1: Oh, Rose, thou art sick, the invisible worm that flies in the night in the howling storm has found out thy bed of crimson joy, and his dark secret love does
0: thy life destroy. Thank you very much. Do you think the rose knows that it's sick, or is it being told that it's sick?
1: I, My feeling about this is that the rose doesn't know. I think that the Songs of Innocence and Experience, to me, read as a, ser- as a series of paradoxes. And I think there is that idea of what, what is innocence? What is innocence viewed from the perspective of experience? Right, okay, yeah, sure. And the paradox for me is that sense of wanting to reacquire innocence or a state of that, that sort of state of, of the ideal while recognising it isn't possible to live in an ideal state. So who do you think the narrator is then? I think it's Blake. I think it, for me it's political Blake. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things about Blake's, my understanding of of Blake is that he's trying to he's trying to look at how people construct the world. You know the the, the mind forged manacles yeah. th- th- idea, and trying to to point out that. What here is is seen as, you know, fairly evidently on a a sort of psychological level as a a penetration or impregnation of the of the ideal of the pure is a necessary state of recognition of the world as it is.
0: So you wouldn't read it as a poem that has sort of a a sort of implicit sexuality to it, or not? Or do you think he's actually making a, a, a kind of bigger? Yeah, I a think. Bigger I, comment on.
1: Yes. I, I, yeah. I mean, and, and obviously when we come on to, to talk about how I've responded in my work to this, I think, I think this, yes, the sexuality is there, but the sexuality for me is a, is a cipher rather than sort of seeing it in its own, in its own, solely in its own terms. It actually is, it's,
0: it's a, a metaphor, I suppose. Right. So there seems to be a contrast in in the poem between what is seen and open and what is hidden away. Yeah,
1: I think that it's it's an interesting sort of precursor of of, of psychoanalysis and the recognition in in psycho- psychoanalysis that that actually meaning uh, is not fully cannot fully be re- realised in order for it to be to be to be true or to have have meaning yeah you know that that actually those those and again the paradox really between what we what we what we recognize in ourselves in terms of our drives and so forth yeah and what we we don't fully realize and the relationship between those two those two sort of states so i think that it's quite an interesting way of looking back through psychoanalytic theory, yeah. looking back to late 18th century, where Blake is exploring a, a sort of psychoanalytic approach to people's, to human drives at the individual and at the political level.
0: Right. Is he a kind of doctor in this then, do you think? Is there is there a, does he have a kind of, cure, does he have a cure in mind, or is it just a or is he is he just giving a prognosis? I
1: yeah I, I've I've been thinking about this and thinking about the role of poetry as well. You know, in that in does that offer some kind of how could I put this a kind of in 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 putting this together in an art form? What is Blake doing and what am I tra- What are poets trying to do in describing? You know, or or responding to the world and is simply describing or responding to it part of the cure right or is it necessary to you know is it to call for action yeah i suppose yeah and perhaps we can explore that a bit more later on when we yeah. come on to talk about m- my work but i think for me the the songs of experience are uh, which which seem on the face of it much bleaker than the songs of innocence yeah can be said to be positive because they are an attempt to lay bare the social political issues in that society in order
0: to attempt to do something about them. Yeah, I think we should move on perhaps to to, to your own version, tra- translation. Why? I mean, firstly, why did you choose, use Blake as a springboard for your own writing? Was there a particular reason why you came to the songs of innocence and experience and thought I can write some poems out of, of this material.
1: I think it's, it is, as I've mentioned, partly to do with this long association and this kind of unresolved association with Blake's poetry that, that I've carried through my, my sort of relationship with poetry for, for, you know, 35 years or whatever it is. And I think because, well, I think there are a few reasons. I think, I am attracted by the the sort of attempts through a metaphorical or symbolic uh, response to world events, to to society, to the political. You know, I'm, I'm, I've written quite a lot uh, in response to Lorca's poetry, and I think it yeah. the, the same applies there. So, I think there is a there is a there's a lot of sustenance, if you like, to be drawn from. Poets who take that approach, because it's a constant sort of self-mining, self-exploration that a poet sort of takes if they if they have that approach, to, which is about the world and about their response to the world. And I think that that is um, that appeals to me and has always done, really.
0: So, why did you choose the, the sick rose in particular? As a poem that you thought you could interrogate this
1: is obviously it's the final one of, of a short sequence of five. Um, I think the sick rose um, as with, as with the, the others, sort of distills really some of the concerns and interests that i've that I have about this idea of connecting the personal with the political so this sequence of poems is largely a nighttime sequence it is about the individual it's about isolation self-reflection worry and so you know we're sort of obviously tapping into the the psychological sort of aspects which in a way is reflects a lot of the sort of concerns within this this whole collection of poetry you know I think it is a reflective introspective in in certain ways book which talks which attempts to to sort of express my feelings as someone at a certain period of their life going through certain experiences yeah in my late 50s thinking about life and elderly parents kids growing up that sort of phase of my life where I've been Wanting to think about that interaction what is what is it that how is how do I try to what is what is my poetry's position between myself and the world and I've said before I think you know I think poetry I think all poetry is political in that you make decisions, but I'm also interested in that sort of as I said the the kind of subconscious yeah. element. And for me, the sick rose. My response, my my sick rose, is about that sense that that sort of liminal positioning of something between self and world, between night and day, sleep and you know, wakeful wake wakefulness, wakefulness, and so on. So it it does. I think people would see it, you know, and hear that it is. It does have a psychological
0: sort of element to it. It does. And before we hear it, could mm. you just explain why, for the the sequence title, you've actually changed the order? So for for Blake's, it's
1: songs of innocence and of experience, and f- and in your sequence, it is songs of experience and of innocence. Yes. Yeah. I mean, s- some commentators have talked about Blake and the the, the comparing the two sequences and suggesting that it's not as straightforward as, as as moving from a state of innocence to a state of experience, but conversely, in some ways, that actually the songs of innocence, which have this kind of childlike, joyful element, are overshadowed by the adults in the room who are s- sort of saying, yes, but, you know, that... that sense of joy has to be tempered by what's coming next. Whereas the songs of experience, I think the speaker is positioning themselves as someone who understands that process but recognises that real change is required to recover some of the promise of that earlier state and he was writing obviously songs of experience in the the sort of full throes of the french revolution and his sense of association with that and, and optimism for that process so i think there is that there, there is that sort of slight paradox between the two and i wanted to explore that paradox by inverting the the sort of two states i guess to flag up The fact that it is about a paradox. It is about contingency. Yeah. And recognizing that as I've got older, I think I've recognized the attraction or importance probably better of what we might call innocence. I mentioned, you know, in terms of my own, you know, my kids, what seeing my kids grow up and their, their, their sort of hopes for their futures and, and so forth. And actually valuing or reevaluating the importance of that sense of optimism, which some people might call innocence. Yeah. Actually is, is, is a new experience. So it, you know, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of nature in the, in the book. Yeah, There's a lot of sense of engaging with the elemental. And I think that's that's why we have this kind of paradox. You know, experience can mean cynicism, world yeah. weariness. Yeah. But actually it can also be about some kind of re of a sense of the importance of what we might call innocence. I s- yeah, I can see that. Does that, that make sense? That makes sense. complete sense, yeah. So if you could read the poem, please. Okay. The Sick Rose... Up in the night, I creak my way to the bathroom. The sky has wheeled its stars round. Where the moon was, a faint smear of orange burns on the moor line. The cat flap snaps. Hours jumps from her sleep. A black shape wanders down to the gate. Job done. Back in bed, I picture a plane stalling over Sheffield, ploughing into the moor a brief flare, thunder. I see the tomcat crossing the abandoned street, unhurried and undeterred. The rest is sweat, imagined steps on the stairs.
0: Thank you very much. I was looking through both versions and I was looking for words that corresponded between the two and i can only really find one major one and you've kind of already mentioned this already i think i kind of talked about it with this, this idea of night hmm. both poems use the word night as a sort of a hmm. uh, kind of you know a key signifier do you want to say a little more about that um D- did you think well, I- did you think about the, you know when you were writing the poem did you kind of think about the the words in the blake poem and thought you didn't want to in a way hmm. cross the street and meet blake you wanted to stay on the other side and
1: yeah, I think I, I, the interpretation is perhaps more about mood, but I think there's another word in mine, which compares to a word in the original, which is my word is sweat and Blake's word is sick. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so that idea of night sweats and which is not about illness, but it's about perhaps agitation or yeah. that, that sense of, You know, the three o'clock in the morning thoughts, if you like, where what's happening around you in, in daylight sort of can come crowding in and, and, you know, those sort of preoccupations. So I think there was that sense of responding to a, to a, a mood. Yeah. And trying to, trying to present something of that sense of urgency, agitation, perhaps danger. You know that Tomcat is a threatening, yeah sort of figure with a different moral compass, if you like, and yeah. you know he's seen as an intruder and there's sort of thoughts of of you know intrusion and 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 so forth, so that kind of plays off this idea of of impregnation and
0: and and so yeah. on so if I was being literal mm. I, I might say well I, I thought the worm might be the the airplane for instance. Mm. Mm. And I, mean, I presume you don't want the reader to be that that literal, do you in their approach? No. Um, the invisible worm being the the uh, aeroplane that stalls over Sheffield. Yeah. And
1: again, the invisible worm in, it, it could also be you know represented by the tomcat. Yeah. Who we never see. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't. Ex- I, I I suppose for me, Chris, I'm sure for you, the 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 importance in writing poetry is opening yourself up to and recognizing the validity of that unconscious process and i think it's it's a case of if you are responding to other work it's important to you know this isn't a translation yeah it's important to to understand what your response is to a poem and then write from that response so it's a, it's kind of at one remove really yeah you know, you're not you're not responding to the words on the page, but you're responding to the to the feelings and thoughts that derive from reading that poem and then trying to sort of uh, you know, respond, explore those feelings.
0: Mm. Certainly. And I thought again comes to a particular word. Mm. I was interested in using the word creak. Yeah. I creak my way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I think verbs are, s- are so important when, mm, in poems. And mm. that's the first kind of verb in the poem that sort of kicks the, kickstarts the poem, really. Mm, mm. And did you have, did you have a lot of thought over that verb when you kind of, because it's not, it's quite an interesting, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a surprise verb, I, I guess, mm. in that, you know, I, you, you think of, you, you, you creak the floorboards, you don't actually, the idea of creaking, Yourself, yourself is not, some you know, it's like a, almost like a sort of transfer epithet, isn't it? Like a kind of yes. You're almost throwing it onto something else, aren't you? Your kind of what your walk. Mm.
1: I'm I'm not sure how conscious I was of making that ch- that word choice. I would say, though, thinking about it, that it's not entirely untrue to say that that I creak. You know, yeah. I I think I think actually and again throughout the the book there's a lot of kind of um exploration of the connection between the self and the natural world and you know the the longer poem sapo talks about the idea of the, of the toad sort of you know as it moves into hibernation and and seeing that as in some ways as um comparable with my own sense of my own state Moving through life sort of thing. So actually I creak my way is quite, it's like you say, there's a transfer, but it's also an ambivalence. I think there is something of me creaking as I sort of go through the house, but it also, there's also that affinity with creep, which brings in, I suppose it, it heightens the sense of, uh, that of night sounds and perhaps wanting to be quiet. Creep can also suggest a a sort of perhaps a a, a slightly anxious sensibility that you're trying not to disturb something. Yeah. And also creeping as in sort of encroaching and and so on. So I think I could have chosen that word, but I think I wanted to use a word that was slightly more
0: physical. Uh, As a sort of an aside, it it reminds me of another poem, uh, and. One Of the main things that one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to sort of talk about the conversations that poems have between themselves mm-hmm. and the idea that poets have between themselves mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like a ripple effect mm-hmm. you, you read a poem and then you you write, yeah, you write a poem. You yeah. know, the, the process is more difficult, you know, more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. But poets often start, so it's like yeah, a heap yeah. of compost that you're, yeah. kind of, yeah. you're reading all these poems and something comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And i And I thought also of sad steps by Philip Larkin. Mm. I don't know whether you know that poem I don't remember it. I'm sure I would have come across it. So that's the thing Is i I start thinking, well, he must have read sad steps as well, but you haven't, so mm. I'm kind of second guessing mm. all your influences when in mm. fact it's a it's a Blake you know it's a poem about that you're using is Blake. He gets up at night to the toilet, yeah, and he looks out of the window at the moon, yeah, okay. And that in itself, I think, is a reference to I think it's a Philip Sidney poem. Okay. About the moon. Right. So you know, I'm, there's all that kind mm. of those doors in the house that you kinda of go through. You each trying to find the source, but the source you never find it. You can it's always sort of escaping from you, you know. And and I'm I'm I'm
1: I'm quite interested in this really, this whole process of connection. And as with this work My response to Sick Rose was an interpretation of mood, if you like. And I've often come across this. In fact, this morning I had an email from someone who's just read The Grail Roads and said, you must have read X and I'd never heard of it. And I think it's, it's interesting how, how people, how poets respond to other work or reflect similar concerns. And so that that sort of connection between the work we're we're doing and earlier work, and the fact that I've not I'm not familiar with Sad Steps doesn't mean there isn't a conversation, if you like, going yeah. on between the two pieces, yeah, which you've kind of introduced, yeah. I'm, I, I sometimes have felt in the past, you know, oh, I should have read this. I should have, and, and thinking going back to, you know, Eliot's tradition and, and individual talent. Yeah. He clearly read everything, <laughs> yeah. you know, but that idea of that he has of the, the museum ex- exhibition yeah. and, you know, every new work of art changes every previous work of art, you know, in terms of its, its sort of yeah. shift in a way I sort of take from that that whether you know the, the previous works of art or not you can enter into that dialogue
0: can i ask you about form mm. the form you write that you've written a poem in because if someone went to the blake poem they'd see that it it rhymed or yeah it's off rhyme yeah yeah interestingly it's a complete sentence as well i do i, I yes. looked at it again yeah, and, yeah. I, and i realize it's yeah. actually like a complete thought yeah those sort of poems are very rare i think yeah there's almost yeah. like written he almost let, wrote it in one go. He mm-hmm. probably didn't, but you know, it's almost like there's a through line to that poem. Yeah. As your poem, well, you you, you you don't write in rhyme, do you? No, no. But also, you sentence the sentences very kind of carefully in here, mm-hmm. as in like mm-hmm. you break the lines with with sentence sentences. Yeah. Could you talk a bit about that? I mean, I do use
1: rhyme, but I don't rhyme. Is the first thing I'd say. You know, you've got you've got equivalences. You've got bathroom and moon, for example, and, okay. and, and done and so on but i i in, suppose in i street and sweat yeah i try to i try to i think resist or or work with the pull of rhyme it's a constant i wouldn't say battle but i'm constantly aware of the sense that through our voice and the and, and sounds we we try to make sense so we try to rhyme or we try to we try to rhythm yeah And I I suppose it's about the, the being aware of that tension, isn't it? Really. And, and my response to that is, is to equivocate in a way between the spoken voice or utterance and the art form. So I think there's that sort of, again, it's that, that when I, you know, talk about contingency and, and so on and the, perhaps a, a perhaps a mistrust of absolute or ideal which can be can be sometimes about form yeah i suppose you know that i'm constantly aware of the need to try to represent as truthfully as possible what i want to do in a in a poem and the extent to which end rhyme particularly or formal rhythmic structures can push you away from that. Right. And that's the constant battle of the poet, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's a, it's about, you know, let's not allow those forms to dominate. Let's try to use them to accommodate what we want to say in the best way we want to say it. I'm just sort of trying to put forward that idea that I suppose it's a rationale for for resisting certain structures while recognizing that that actually they they do they can load meaning and significance. Yes. So in here we've got rhyme, we've got half rhyme, we've got near rhyme and stuff, but they're not in not necessarily in the usual places. Yeah, it's
0: not the end rhyme. That-
1: no. And so, when you talk about syntax, you talk about sentences and and line endings being, you know, often. Then, for me, that's that's perhaps more about more about rhythm than rhyme, which to me is, or the way I work, reflects perhaps more honestly the spoken utterance. I think when I'm when I'm working with a poem, one of my Checks, if you like, in terms of, or one of my, one of my ways of understanding how it is working, how well it is working is how well I can speak it. And interest, it's interesting, you know, when you talk about the fact that the sick rose is a sentence. Yeah. But it is quite punctuated within the sentence, you know, clausally and so on, the semicolons and commas and so on, which enables you to, to break it up into, into, uh, manageable yeah. forms of utterance. I think that the fact that it, it does have this flow through it does lend itself to the idea that it is a, you know, r- that it is about psychology. It is about stream of consciousness to a certain extent. Whereas mine poem, which is longer as well, but it, it's perhaps a more, I don't know what the, what, how I'd describe it really introspective, perhaps. And I'm I'm working through I'm, – I'm carrying two or three sort of central images at the same time, myself, yeah. the cats, the plane, you know, and building sort of significance
0: between them. You have a conversation with Blake's poem that you're using internal and external as well, I think, mm. The, the, mm. the outside and the inside. Yeah. So you've got the more, you've got the plane, you've got the tomcat that comes in and out,
1: mm. Yeah.
0: you know, and then you've got the narrator in within – And the cat, the Mm. the the owner's cat. You know, I suppose the
1: difference is I'm more present than Blake is. You know, I I, I creep my way. Yeah. So am I. You know, I I didn't really interrogate this in terms of am I the rose? As I said before, it's 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 not it's it's not a direct sort of response. It's a response to a response. But I think it's it is quite interesting that I place myself in
0: the centre of this. Yeah. One final one final question I'll ask you now. And um, by writing your own poem, the Sick Rose, do you have you got a more insight? I've got a different idea about Blake's Sick Rose. I suppose what I mean is, has the process of writing the Sick Rose look, made you look at Blake's poem differently at all? Or
1: yeah, I think so. Because although, as I've said, it. My, my interpretation my translation if you like of of that poem in some ways is at one remove as a result of writing these and um, five poems then i have i think understood more fully this idea of of the the sort of paradoxes that he holds you know and returning to blake all these years later i think i i have an an as as a stimulus, rather than you know, uh, as poems that I would read, for educational purposes. Yeah, or, or simply as a reader, but yeah. reading things as a writer with a, with a in, the intention of producing a response. That I think there are two stages. One is what is my response going to be, and and that idea of you know the the core what I think he was getting at. And then looking carefully at the language and the process that I think he was, he was undertaking in, in that sort of poetical, but also personal political context. But then there's a second sort of process, which is that process of you writing the poems, consciously responding to what to the effects of the Blake poems on yourself, but also recognizing as I think Blake was trying to demonstrate that there is this subconscious process as well. Yeah. And one of the things I find enduringly interesting about poetry, about writing poetry is about rereading your own poetry and seeing what has popped out. So in that sense, it is a, it is a, a reworking, yeah, I can, yeah, I can see that definitely. But it's a reworking of the poetic process, yeah. as much as it is a reworking of the poem.
0: Thank you very much. It's a for pleasure talking to about the two poems. Um, so when people buy Sapo and they they come to find these poems, they'll find them at the back, yeah, near the end of the collection. Is there a reason why you put them near the end? Well, is it part of the uh, the sequence of the book?
1: Yes, it is. I mean the. Just just to sort of summarise, there are three sections to the book. The first one is about the about the pandemic and about the parallels between the COVID pandemic and the seventeenth um, pl- century plague that struck the Derbyshire village of Eam. You know that's that's about sickness. Yeah, it's also about community. And then the the, the second section, this called it a, a shimmer. Is about, it's about looking out to the horizon and to horizons, I suppose, and the idea of a horizon shimmering sort of thing, which, which is about, I suppose it's about observation and about the limits of understanding of observation in a way. And then the last bit, the last section, which includes or opens with the songs of experience and of innocence are, that is, is titled Northern Fardo, Fardo being a sort of uh, Portuguese blues. And I think that the, the process of the book, the the way that it's it's ordered, it's about moving outwards and then moving down or inwards. So the Fardo, which is Fardo is effectively like, I suppose, soul music. Yeah. It's a bit I mean, it's equivalent to Flamenco and I mentioned my interest in Lorca and things like that, and the idea of the elemental and the and the, the, the sort of um, what what um, Lorca calls Duende this idea of the soul and the spirit and and the anime if you like so that that's I suppose moves into this idea of the 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 self and the psychological and the yeah. and the unconscious and the subconscious so the songs open up that sort of exploration in that last sequence of the book and then obviously overarching the whole collection of these bird poems which intersperse uh,
0: which again is about that that Innocence, yeah, I suppose it shows how much poets, writers think about the the design of the book. Really, mm. I think that's the right. thing that people po- possibly don't think about when they're they're reading mm. the poetry collection, which you could potentially just drop in on anywhere a poem. Mm. But actually, they they are highly structured and
1: yeah. And I would just finally say, I suppose that some of the poems were written ten years ago, others were written as part of the. Process of creating the book, and it was about assimilating and and sort of looking at how these poems, again, as I said before, it's that sense of recognition on rereading one's own work, always from a different position, obviously, in terms of their possible significances. Yeah, and the collection, which is called Sapo, I chose the title because it's 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 a word which is slippery. It literally means slippery. In Portuguese, they it means soap, but it's also connected with, uh, you know, a, a, the Latin root, which is about wisdom. And incidentally, the Spanish word for toad is sapo, which is where the core poem in the book sort of uh, comes from. And it's about that changing the idea that the toad um, regenerates by uh, shedding its yeah. skin. Yeah, and so I suppose you know going right into The Sick Rose and out to the the whole sort of concern of the book. It's about that contingency, that slipperiness. Yeah. And an experience of innocence, which is a, an essential contradiction. Thank you for coming today
0: to talk okay. to me about the two poems. Okay. Um, Thanks, Chris. Taking the time. Thanks, Rob. Rob Hindle is the author of six collections of poetry. His first, Some Histories of the Sheffield Flood, 1864, won the inaugural Templar Poetry Pamphlet Competition. More recently, he has published The Grail Roads, 2018, which was shortlisted in the Ford Prizes, and Sappho, 2022, in which his poem, The Sick Rose, appears. Both of these books are published by Longbarrow Press. Rob read William Blake's poem The Sick Rose from the Selected Poems edition published by Everyman Paperbacks from 1982. To explore Rob Hindle's work in detail and to find out more about this and other podcasts in the series, go to the website. Two way dot podbean dot com. You can also follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, for more updates on future episodes at CW Jones Chris. The music that ends the show is written by William Jones. Thanks for listening.